Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. And speaking of sexy bodies, modern lovers, oh, do we regret the loss of the purple one, the prince himself, and what an extraordinary performer, extraordinary artist, and an amazing person from all that we know about him. And of all the shocking, sad things, his death appears to be from prescription painkillers that he took an overdose, which means he is now, take a deep breath, everyone, now one of over 190,000 Americans who have died from prescription opioids Most of those who died, just like Prince, started out as legitimate pain patients. Now, pain is a serious problem in America. If you don't know it, over 100 million Americans suffer from chronic pain. And that's more than cancer, heart disease, diabetes, all combined. And the pain costs our economy a whopping $600 billion a year in medical costs, lost productivity, and I know what it costs people in relationships, in families, when there's somebody who's ill. It is a huge, staggering, and anxiety-provoking occurrence. And we need to talk about this because it affects every area of our lives when someone is in chronic pain, and we need to talk about whether painkillers are the safest and the best treatment, and why Prince, Michael Jackson, all of these people that we know were (laughs) caused, somehow the death was caused by opioids. Let's talk about it with our guest tonight, Cindy Perlin. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's a chronic pain survivor, and she's the author of The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments the best and the worst strategies for becoming pain-free. Her website is www.cindyperlin.com. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your own personal reflections on Prince's death. Well, you know, I think a lot of the details aren't out yet. It certainly looks like it was a prescription opioid overdose from all the information that's come out so far. And what's being reported is that he suffered from chronic hip pain and chronic ankle pain uh, for at least 10 years. Mm. 
and he had prescriptions for painkillers. They were found on him when he was found unresponsive uh, on the last day of his life. About a week earlier, it was reported that his plane made an emergency landing because he had overdosed, and he was given Narcan, which is a medication that they give to people. If they get to them in time, it can bring them back from an opioid overdose. Mm, wow. So for you personally, when you think about what happened to Prince, and it seems as if all signs are pointing toward opioid overdose, what, what are your first thoughts? Well, you yourself are a chronic pain survivor. I think that if he had gotten better treatment, he'd still be with us. Hmm. Too many people don't look at all the options. They're not um, given all the options by their medical providers. There are many things that might have been safer and more effective and gotten more at the root cause of his pain. And um, the other and options are not deadly. His pain makes sense because he... Of course, as we all know, was a phenomenal dancer, performer. So he was a physical performer, a uh, choreographer. He was someone who could sing, who could perform on instruments. He was a composer. So all the way around, you know, when you say ankle pain and hip pain, that makes sense, knowing that he was this multifaceted artist, but certainly the use of the body over time, uh, you know, Dancers, of course, can sometimes be quite prone to injury. So you know, all that of, makes sense. Yeah, one of the really ironic things is that Prince reportedly was very much against the use of illegal drugs. And one of the drugs that's really one of the best drugs for chronic pain is marijuana. And Minnesota, where Prince lived, does have a medical marijuana law but chronic pain treatment with medical marijuana was going to become legal this August. Oh. So, so he was just a few months away from possibly having medical marijuana available for the chronic pain. And do you know how many people have died of overdoses of marijuana? Ah, right. <laughs> Zero. Zero, yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. so and marijuana is also very helpful for weaning people off of opioids. In the states that have medical marijuana laws, there's an average of a 25% reduction in opioid overdoses. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. So what you're saying is Prince shouldn't have been on the prescription meds. Maybe one of the options was that he was on marijuana. But tell us about your own journey. You're a survivor. Uh huh. these kinds of medications also. What do you mean when you say survivor? Well, I mean that I suffered from chronic pain and I've recovered. So many years ago, I almost hate to say how many, <laughs> when I was 25, which was 38 years ago, I hurt my back. I was trying to run to get into better shape, and something in my back got injured from running. And the situation got worse and worse. Even though I stopped running, it seemed like everything that I did made it worse. I just kept re-injuring my back until I was in so much pain that um, I had to drop out of graduate school. I was going to graduate school for social work at the time. And I was in agony 24-7.
and I went to a lot of doctors, and they gave me a lot of pills. I was given narcotics. I was given muscle relaxants, anti-inflammatories. None of them knew what was wrong with me. None of them knew what to do except give me a pill, and the pills were useless. I was still in tremendous pain. I was just more out of it. And that went on for three and a half years. Wow, three and a half years. Yeah, and it was 24-7 misery. One of the last physicians I saw said that he didn't know what was wrong with me and I should just get used to it because I was probably just going to have that for the rest of my life. Well, that's very helpful. Yeah, I was only 25. So that was pretty discouraging, and I was in despair. And a friend of mine who was a health reporter um, told me about this book about a man who laughed his way to health after being uh, diagnosed with a progressive Oh, yes, we know who that is. (laughs) Norman Cousins. So yes, not only did course. he laugh his way to better health, but he um, he really investigated the mind-body connection. And at the time, I was watching reruns of the Holocaust miniseries, and I was reading novels about World War II. Oh, so you weren't so, getting any laughs at all. You were getting no. totally stressed. The Holocaust <laughs> and, I, and World War II, ouch. Yeah, so, so I was pretty depressed, and I didn't make the connection between what I was filling my mind with and and how I was feeling either physically or mentally ill until I read this book. And in the book he mentioned biofeedback, which now, I had the name never of heard his of. Book, just say it for those who don't know it, please. Oh, Anatomy of an Illness. Okay, so, and that was published yeah. in about 1970-something. But it was one of the very, very first books of its kind to come out and really get people to start looking at what illness really is. Now, you've already talked about that you were filling your mind with the most anxiety-producing, depressing material possible. So it It was was something that interested me, you know, um, but it wasn't good for me at the moment. And I didn't, no. I didn't make the connection until I read his book, and his book also mentioned biofeedback, which I said, you know, I said a few minutes ago. And biofeedback basically measures your physiology, and then you can use that information to learn how to control your body. So I was pretty broke at the time since I'd been a student, and um, but I did find a psychologist that I saw for a few sessions who did biofeedback, and it changed my life. Now, instead, hold on one sec. One of the things you're beginning to say is that instead of opioids, instead of all these heavy-duty drugs, there are other things. Now, before you go on to the other things, explain to people what opioids are and what's in the classification of medication we call opioids. Okay, well, opioids are, we used to call them narcotics, the opioids are the synthesized narcotics, and uh, they're derived from the opium plant. And um, some of the um, drug names you might hear are Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percocet, uh, Lortab, Hydrocodone, Oxycodone, uh, Fentanyl, um, Morphine, Methadone. Uh, those are all opioids. 
and all of them are very addictive and um, can cause death. And what are they mostly being prescribed for? Because we know that there is now an epidemic of people taking opioids that then lead to heroin addiction, something we haven't seen the scourge of heroin in this country at this level in about 30 years. Right. So what are they prescribing opioids for? What what mostly well, are any kind of pain. What happened was about 20 years ago, Purdue Pharmaceuticals came out with OxyContin, which is an extended-release opioid, and they heavily promoted it to doctors, saying that this really helps with chronic pain, and you can prescribe it without worrying because it's not addictive. So anyone who comes into your office and is having pain no worries, you can give them this very effective, safe drug. And the reality is that they lied. They knew that the drug was addictive, but they didn't tell the physicians that. They told them the opposite. And so physicians were prescribing it for everything, back pain, headaches, um, menstrual cramps, um, after surgery, but, but um, which some people consider legitimate use, but for far too long after surgery. I had a tooth extracted, and I was given 60 uh, Vicodin tablets. Yeah, no, I had that happen also. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't use any. They handed me the prescription that I'm handing you an opium derivative. Go right ahead. Did they tell you it was an opium derivative? No, 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 no. Uh, I happen to be allergic to any kind of opioid, so I always tell them, I'm not going to fill the prescription even when they give it to me because I can't tolerate it. So Mm -hmm. for people who are just being handed these prescriptions, they're not getting warnings either. No. I mean, I wasn't told that I was being given a potentially addictive drug, and I wasn't even asked if I had an addiction history. Mm. The dentist just handed me a prescription and said, here's something for pain. Wow. And, and I, you know, to, to you? this day, I have friends that that's happened to. And what happened to you when you took it? I didn't take it. Oh, okay. I knew better. I took oh, ibuprofen okay. instead, two doses. <laughs> okay. So by then, by then, you at least knew this wasn't good. Now, how did you find out that this well, wasn't this something Well, this was just a few take? years ago when this was already starting to be in the news. Um, and I think... I was already starting to research my book, so yeah, I was informed. But I have friends who are not that informed, and they'll come back from the doctor and say, my doctor just gave me this. Uh, it's spelled H-Y-D-R-O-C-O-D-O-N-E. And I say, that's hydrocodone. That's an opioid that can wow. be addictive. Now, wow, what? He didn't tell me take- that. If people do take an opioid, on average, how long does it take to become addicted to the opioid? Well, people become dependent in a week. Dependent means that if you stop taking it, you have withdrawal. And withdrawal um, is unpleasant. It's body pain, it's nausea, it's vomiting, it's anxiety. So most people will redose because that's unpleasant. 
And if so they to take avoid another the dose, symptoms, to avoid the symptoms of coming off the meds, they take more meds. Right. And then from dependence, right. how does the addiction progress? Well, what happens is if they're, you know, if they don't stop despite the withdrawal and they do have continuing issues with pain and they continue to take the drug, over time most people develop what's called tolerance. And tolerance means that your body is getting used to the drug and you need more to get the same effect. So to get the same amount of pain relief, you have to start taking more. And that can increase over time to the point where people are taking potentially dangerous levels of the drug. And what would a dangerous level be? How many in a day? Well, I I don't know that I could say for sure. It depends on a lot of different factors. It depends on which drug, um, what your body weight is, um, how much tolerance you've developed, what other drugs you're taking. Um, you know, one I mean, of the I once is- worked with a guy who was a very slim guy who was taking, he said, 60 Vicodin a day. 60 Vicodin? Vicodin. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I, I would say he's someone who's in serious trouble. Did he say that he was taking that for pain relief? He had started out, similar journey, started out, he had a broken ankle, he was a skier, broke the ankle, started out on, I think, Percocet, Vicodin, I'm not sure which one, but became addicted to the point that he was raiding. Uh, he'd go visit family members and friends and steal all their pain meds out of their med cabinets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I even heard of somebody who would go to um, real estate open houses and ask to use the bathroom and then go through the medicine cabinets. Yeah. I mean, people get really desperate, and then when they can't find prescription drugs, then they start looking for street drugs. Now, what is the point at which a person is addicted? You said dependence can happen in a week. You you get withdrawal, and then we have tolerance where you need more and more to get the same level of relief, and then we get to addiction. What's the difference? Well, I think that addiction is that you can't stop no matter what the consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that you are um, constantly drug-seeking and you're, um, you know, you can't stop without treatment. And it doesn't matter what it costs. Um, some of the people have gotten addicted whose stories I've read they're middle-aged housewives who have some sort of minor surgery and, and get painkillers. And before you know it, um, you know, they've always led normal lives raising their families, but before you know it, they're on the streets buying heroin and shooting up. Yeah, because a lot of pain sufferers can end up losing their ability to work. They can't parent. They can't fulfill household responsibilities or participate in normal you know, pleasurable activities, and of course it strains relationships. I certainly know people who have divorced because of pain addiction. I'm, any number of couples I'm aware yeah. of who have gotten Well, divorced. I think the first level is the pain problem, and then when you add addiction on top of that, and one of the one of the concerns that I have in terms of the discussion that's going on in the media right now 
is that we're only talking about treating the addiction, but we're not talking about once we get people off these opioids, we still have people with pain problems. And what are we going to do about that? So there are two things here. One is the danger of the opioids. The other is what do we do about the pain? So let's tackle both of those. Let's talk about the pain. What are some of the alternative solutions to taking opioids? And if Prince had ankle and hip pain, what could he have done instead of, and do you know what opioids he was taking, by the way? Uh, Percocet is the one that was mentioned in the media. Mm, Okay. Now, are some heavier than others? How do they rank? Well, some some have more, you know, usually most of the medications are a combination of acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, and an opioid. So it depends uh, what what the balance of those two are. And then, of course, like any medication, there's differing strengths of dosages. So you might start out on a 10-milligram oxycodone, uh, but end up, you know, somewhere down the line on something much stronger than that. What was he taking? Any any idea what strength? I don't know. That wasn't specifically reported. So what could he have done differently for the chronic pain in his ankle and his hip? Well, you know, I think when it's something that starts with something physical, like the kind of um, activity he did on the stage, you're really probably talking mostly about muscle damage. Mm -hmm. And so hands-on therapies that work with muscles are very useful. For instance, massage and physical therapy are very, very useful. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we say massage for things like this, may I just say uh, for those who are thinking, gee, I'm going to go get a massage, get a therapeutic massage. We're not talking about the typical little, gee, I want to de-stress, feel-good massage. If you actually have an injury, I'm speaking as someone who myself has recovered from an injury. I had a very serious hip injury and was in pain for about a year. And, of course, I don't take opioids. I don't even take Tylenol. So I was seeking all sorts of solutions, and I found an excellent therapeutic massage therapist who was trained in treating injuries and who himself had recovered from injury. And I'll tell you, in three sessions, bam, after a year of suffering in terrible pain, so bad sometimes I couldn't put my foot down, it was gone. Mm -hmm. So I want to back you up there, Cindy. I definitely (laughs) want to back you up. That therapeutic massage, but I want to make the distinction for our listeners we are not talking about, you know, a little smearing oil around. We mean somebody who's really trained, and you have to research that person's background. Right. You know, there's sweetest massage, which is, you know, kneading your muscles a little bit and putting some oil on, and that's not a therapeutic massage. Right. That kind of massage does not heal chronic injuries. You do need something that's deeper something like um, trigger point release or myofascial uh, release massage. I I particularly like rolfing, 
which mm-hmm. is a very, very deep body work that's it's even deep. more intense in there than and the up all the scar tissue and will make you cry, but you feel so good afterwards. <laughs> right, right. You've experienced it then? I have indeed. There isn't any of these types of therapies that I haven't explored because I work with so many people in our seminars and our training programs that have injuries or chronic pain. And because my focus is on helping people create really deep, lasting, true love, I know pain is one of the worst things that can happen. It'll right. just destroy the relationship. So I'm busy, and then for my own sake, because I like to, to work out, I can sometimes have an injury. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to just say that the hands-on technique for muscle uh, types of injuries and pain, really golden, really, truly golden. What else do you recommend, Cindy? Now, you guys take notes. Okay, <laughs> if muscle pain, go get that therapeutic massage. What else are you recommending, Cindy? Well, you know, another new thing, relatively new thing that I just discovered in, during my book research is low-level laser therapy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what that is, is it's light therapy. Most people think of lasers as something that cuts and burns, but low-level laser is a very different intensity of light. It's, yeah, it's sometimes called, called cold laser. Cold. Yeah, sometimes called cold laser. And it's infrared light. It's actually actually light that has a red color. And what happens with it is it actually um, changes the cells so that they become more permeable to nutrition and oxygen and energy and toxins can more readily leave the cell. And it greatly speeds up healing. And there's over 400 randomized controlled human studies now that say that it's effective. Yeah. And it's effective for things like neck pain, back pain, neuropathy, um, headaches, yeah, all kinds all of... all of the above. I've had yeah, osteoarthritis. My chiropractor uses it. Yeah. I even, um, I was so impressed with what I read that I bought myself a quite expensive laser therapy device and it wasn't just for me. It was for my elderly cat who had osteoarthritis in her oh. hip. And I saw the difference in her. Oh, my goodness. So she had stopped jumping on anything that's and great. she started jumping around again. You know? Oh, that's great. Good. So those of you who have pets and uh, people who need it. And, I, again, I have to say I have explored cold laser my chiropractor and her whole team use it and Mm -hmm. it's quite amazing it was part of the therapy i did for this hip injury i had the deep tissue plus the cold laser it was mostly the deep tissue that did it but the cold laser was part of it and i could feel the pain kind of cooling down every time i did it kind Mm -hmm. of cooled it all down so i know that amazing yeah now, other things that you recommend, if Prince had gotten cold laser, gotten some deep tissue, and what else? Because it And had be a little good. marijuana. A little <laughs> marijuana, okay. He could have taken a soap or two. And, of course, and I'm a big proponent of the mind-body relationship. And it's just very important to have some time in your day where you really relax. And, you know, I think that um, the kind of performer he was, he was always on the go, 
Um, and I don't know that he took the time to really chill mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and go into deep relaxation, which is very important. Now, do the opioids have a relaxing effect? Is that part of what they do? Well, people feel more relaxed when they're on them, but I don't think the physiology is the same as when, say, you meditate or uh, I'm sure the physiology isn't, but I'm wondering if that little bit of relaxation may be part of what gets people hooked because it's easier to take that than to meditate. Yeah, it does have um, a calming and numbing effect. Yeah. Yeah, because nothing um, certainly makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I don't know so much for Prince because I don't know a lot about his his personal family history. But if you have trauma in your background, particularly psychological trauma, you were abused as a child or grew up not feeling loved or feeling criticized or you're from an alcoholic family, um, or you were abandoned, or you had a parent die. I think you covered most of the people in the world there, Cindy, which is part of, you know, my belief is that is part of why people are so prone to use opioids. It's a way to not feel psychological or emotional pain as well as Right, food. and it's hard to heal pain if you've got that in your background and you don't work it through. Mm-hmm. Because that kind of background predisposes you to be chronically stressed and hypervigilant and anxious, and that exacerbates any kind of pain that you have. Wow, you make a great point. So the interaction between having all of the old trauma from childhood or traumatic situation you've been through you know, and a lot of people, God knows, suffer sexual abuse and all sorts of things that can happen. And if you don't heal it, then you're going to have anxiety disorder, depression, and things that make it harder to heal pain. So right. the therapy that you spoke of earlier, the biofeedback is part of it. And mm-hmm. also you talk in your book about nutrition and herbal therapies. We just have a few minutes left. Tell us a little bit about those. Okay, well, you know, we are what we eat. Most people don't take that to heart. They've heard that. But your body is constantly replacing cells, making hormones, uh, making neurotransmitters. It can't do that without the right ingredients. And um, you really want to have a very healthy, optimal diet with lots of fruits and vegetables and avoiding processed food, avoiding trans fats. You want to have plenty of omega-3 fatty acids, which come from fish, or you can take them as supplements. Uh, Those are anti-inflammatory. Most people um, are vitamin D So for those things, what you're talking about now are things that actually help heal the pain because they heal inflammation. Right. That is so important. Okay, and what were you about to say? I'm sorry. Go right ahead. (laughs) They heal inflammation, and they help your body make new, healthier cells. Okay. And then other nutrients that we could look at? So vitamin D is really important. We get very little of it from our diet. We get it from our skin being exposed to the sun, and most of us don't get enough of that. 
if we're yeah, in the sun, we have we sunblock also... and we're covered up because we don't want to get wrinkles. Right. Okay. Now, talk about energy-based therapies. We've got just a couple minutes left. Okay. Well, those are the ones that are um, considered most on the fringe. Uh, therapeutic touch, which a lot of nurses do, Reiki, um, other kinds of hands-on energy therapies. There's actually scientific proof that they work. In my book, I mentioned studies. Acupuncture has been around for thousands of years in Asian countries. There's a reason it's stuck around. It works. Now there are studies saying that it works. Homeopathy, which is another thing that's considered Well, the American Medical Association was formed to keep homeopathy out of the United States way, way back in the late 1700s, I believe, because... Doctors from one school of thought didn't want to have to compete with the homeopathy doctors. Right, so the homeopathy the doctors were, were more popular. They were much more popular, of course, because they weren't taking germs from one bed to the next and killing people. But we move on. So, look, Cindy, what is your final thing you want to say to people about chronic pain? Well, don't lose hope. There's something out there that will help you, and probably it's going to be a combination of things. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Approach it from the mind angle and the body angle um, and try a lot of different therapies at once because it's a complex problem. It is complex, and I want to say as somebody who is sitting here pain-free today after thinking I was going to spend the rest of my life in pain with that hip injury, a combination of things does work, and it's important. The thing I want to add is be very vigilant. Don't give your doctor all the power and assume the doctor is right. If your doctor is handing over a prescription from opioids, say, you know what, this is not the route I want to go. This is a very, very last resort. I want to try some other things. What have you got up your sleeve here that you can help me with? And if they don't have anything, I recommend Cindy's book. The book is very, very important, cutting edge. It's called The Truth About Chronic Pain Treatments, The Best and the Worst Strategies for Becoming Pain-Free. And, again, her website is www.cindyperlin.com. That's C-I-N-D-Y-P-E-R-L-I-N. And Modern Lovers, We want you to be pain-free so you can have a great love life. We don't want pain getting in the way of all that love. So thank you so much for being our guest, Cindy, and telling us a lot of information we need to know. And RIP to the wonderful Prince. Yes. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. And thanks to our producer, Mr. LeGrand Green, our social producer, Mr. Cliff Dunning. And stay tuned. Next week, very, very important that you learn to listen like a dog. Our guest is Jeff Lazarus. And by the way, Cindy also has some terrific uh, petitions and things she's circulating on her website so that we get our legal and law representatives to pay attention to this issue. And she's got a newsletter you can sign up for, free download, the five best self-help tools for healing chronic pain. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Blessings. Good night. 